What is up, my podcast listeners? This is your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and I'm excited for this episode because we're going to do another compilation uh, styled episode where we go over programming for fat loss. Now, I would say 99% of my clients that I train um, all no matter what they're kind of going through, they're all looking for fat loss because no matter what, even if it's an injury, you're still hoping that you're gonna look better, feel better. And I would say majority of all my clients are dealing with some sort of injury, either really simple low back pain that they just need to get more hip mobility and T-spine mobility to someone who just had a hip replacement and they're looking to, get out of pain start moving again but regardless of where they're at they're all looking for some sort of aesthetic change because like let's be a little you know more realistic um no matter what your goal is you are you know subconsciously always kind of looking for that so i wanted to bring these two episodes where i literally do a whiteboard session of like my thought process and show you exactly how I put together a program. And even in the videos, I'll like mention that, you know, on paper, on the the whiteboard, it looks very, very, very simple. But when put into practice, there is the moment where you actually, you know, get through the warm up and start implementing um, the sets of each exercise, you feel like you're actually working quite hard. And I wanted to bring this uh, episode together because a lot of times people are looking for programs that look so complicated with like, you know, your first set, you're doing four reps really, really heavy. And then your second set, you're going to do 12. And then on your third set, you're going to do eight because of X, Y, and Z. And like, you know what? Yeah, those programs work. But For most people, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like, do you really think that the average Joe and Jane that um, have a full-time job and kids, their body is going to be able to tell the difference of doing, you know, four exercises in a superset, three sets of eight compared to like one set, four reps, next set is 12 and whatever complicated thing that you find online, probably not. What you need is simplicity, consistency, and patience. That's all it is. So I'm really excited to bring this episode together to kind of showcase that. And I literally write out an entire program. So like if you're looking for something new, This is your chance to steal it, use it, and see how you feel. But to kind of, again, do a selfish plug for my book, and I've made a small little video on it before, um, probably this past week, of how the assessment kind of plays in. And I think I might do um, a whiteboard session where someone was injured, how I would, you know, implement... um, different training based on what I see in the assessment. But to do, again, the selfish plug for my book, The Ironclad Body Training System, Volume 2, your program should always dictate your anatomy. You know, like someone who's really, really tall, probably not going to be the best for them to be back squatting. 
someone that has a history of sitting at their desk for the last 20 years probably don't need to do overhead pressing. Someone with arthritic knees, probably not the best idea to do walking lunges. Like it sounds silly when you say it out loud, but I've seen this time and time again in my career where people will go to the gym, do whatever their friend's doing, doing whatever the class is doing if they're in a group kind of setting and they will feel pain and continue doing it. And then they get surprised on why, I don't know, a couple of weeks down the road, a month goes down the road and their knee hurts. It's like you need to be doing things that your body's capable of and then work on the things that you want to be able to do, right? So I always say when I do an assessment in person or online, like, yeah, maybe your shoulder mobility is not there to do overhead pressing right now, but we're going to do everything in my power to make sure that you can press overhead eventually, right? So I think that's where a lot of people kind of get lost when seeing success with weight loss and fat loss is that they're not following a program that's actually designed for them. And we need to kind of stop ending this whole like, I'm going to go Google fat loss workout. And it's like some random cookie cutter program, like pay somebody to actually program for you, buy my book so you can actually get um, somewhat of a personalized program that works for you and your anatomy. So without me rambling for the next 20 minutes, I'm gonna get right into this compilation video of fat loss programming. Here we go. What is up my podcast listeners? This is your host from Found Lachyshevsky and I'm excited for this episode because we're gonna do another compilation uh, styled episode where we go over programming for fat loss. Now, I would say 99% of my clients that I train um, all, no matter what they're kind of going through, they're all looking for fat loss because no matter what, even if it's an injury, you're still hoping that you're going to look better, feel better. And I would say majority of all my clients are dealing with some sort of injury, either really simple low back pain that they just need to get more hip mobility and T-spine mobility to someone who just had a hip replacement and they're looking to um, get out of pain, start moving again. But regardless of where they're at, they're all looking for some sort of aesthetic change. Because like, let's be a little you know, more realistic. Um, no matter what your goal is, you are, you know, subconsciously always kind of looking for that. So I wanted to bring these two episodes where I literally do a whiteboard session of like my thought process and show you exactly how I put together a program. And even in the videos, I'll like mention that, you know, on paper, on the, um, um, the whiteboard, it looks very, very, very simple, but when put into practice, there is the moment where you actually you know, get through the warm up and start implementing um, the sets of each exercise, you feel like you're actually working quite hard. And I wanted to bring this uh, episode together because a lot of times people are looking for programs that look so complicated with like 
you know, your first set, you're doing four reps, really, really heavy. And then your second set, you're going to do 12. And then on your third set, you're going to do eight because of X, Y, and Z. And like, you know what? Yeah, those programs work. But for most people, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like, do you really think that the average Joe and Jane that um, have a full-time job and kids their body is going to be able to tell the difference of doing, you know, four exercises in a superset, three sets of eight compared to like one set, four reps, the next set is 12 and whatever complicated thing that you find online, probably not. What you need is simplicity, consistency, and patience. That's all it is. So I'm really excited to bring this episode together to kind of showcase that and I literally write out an entire program. So like, if you're looking for something new, this is your chance to steal it, use it and see how you feel. But to kind of, again, do a selfish plug for my book and I've made a small little video on it before, um, probably this past week of how the assessment kind of plays in. And I think I might do, um, a whiteboard session where someone was injured, how I would, you know, implement um, different training based on what I see in the assessment. But to do, again, the selfish plug for my book, The Ironclad Body Training System, Volume 2, um, your program should always dictate your anatomy. You know, like someone who's really, really tall, probably not going to be the best for them to be back squatting. Someone that has a history of sitting at their desk for the last 20 years probably don't need to do overhead pressing. Someone with arthritic knees, probably not the best idea to do walking lunges. Like it sounds silly when you say it out loud, but I've seen this time and time again in my career where people will go to the gym do whatever their friend's doing, doing whatever the class is doing if they're in a group kind of setting and they will feel pain and continue doing it. And then they get surprised on why, I don't know, a couple of weeks down the road, a month goes down the road and their knee hurts. It's like you need to be doing things that your body's capable of and then work on the things that you want to be able to do. Right. So I always say when I do an assessment in person or in line, like, yeah, maybe your shoulder mobility is not there to do overhead pressing right now, but we're going to do everything in my power to make sure that you can press overhead eventually. Right. So I think that's where a lot of people kind of get lost when seeing success with weight loss and fat loss is that they're not following a program that's actually designed for them. And we need to kind of stop ending this whole like, I'm going to go Google fat loss workout. And it's like, some random cookie cutter program, like pay somebody to actually program for you, buy my book so you can actually get um, somewhat of a personalized program that works for you and your anatomy. So without me rambling for the next 20 minutes, I'm going to get right into this compilation video of fat loss programming. Here we go. Today, we are actually gonna go over some programming because the biggest thing that I've seen um, through Instagram, Facebook that I um, get in messages and comments 
is kind of on the lines of exercise selection, training, and a lot of times when I get into conversations with my listeners and viewers, it's all about um, their programming. And a lot of times people are following stuff that has been kind of outdated or they're going back to your typical like bodybuilding split that doesn't really necessarily give you um, the best uh, outcomes when it comes to training. And you know if you've been following my stuff for a while, I'm more so on the functional side, and I put that in air quotes, and um, kind of leaning towards uh, exercises that prevent any kind of injury that may happen. And a good example of that is a lot of times when people are pressing overhead, people tend to get sore shoulders, and you know, simply being that when you're a general population person, you most likely have some sort of job where you are sitting down for long periods of time and your shoulder mobility, thoracic mobility is probably not the best it should be at and now you are placing strength over dysfunction and lo and behold, we have injury. So that being said, I'm going to literally demonstrate um, how I program and I'm thinking of kind of creating almost like this linear path of progression. And I can show you how I can take the most simplest program for a beginner that focuses on the foundations and how I can kind of stack on top of the skill set that someone would develop following that phase for say four to six weeks. And then any person that I see, no matter where their level's at, I can scale it up or down really, really quickly. And I think this is going to help many many people out there when it comes to figuring out um, a program that's going to keep them healthy and more days in the gym and that means more um, successful outcomes when it comes to your weight loss goals fat loss goals strength whatever it is um, so we're going to get started so let's assume that i have somebody brand new I've taken them through an assessment and there's nothing like, holy shit, your knee is really messed up and there's stuff that we need you to go figure out with a therapist. Let's just say you're a typical person that has some aches and pains, that is the typical person that sits at a desk all day and when I took you through an assessment, there's going to be certain things that I'm gonna attack, most likely shoulder mobility, T-spine mobility and hip mobility for this program. So how I like to structure my workouts, I was trying to put my cap on and I could not do it. Um, I follow the same kind of, um, I mean, I really hate this ring thing here. This is terrible. Angle? <laughs> yeah, it's just like it's reflecting. Um, Change the angle. What do you mean the angle? Angle the thing differently. Oh, I see what you mean. That. It kind of solves it. Now the th ring is a little bit further, but now I have more room. So if I like wrote there. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Um, so that being said, um, I follow the same programming style that uh, Alan and Rachel Cosgrove at Results Fitness utilize. 
And when it comes to general population programming for fat loss and strength, they are the number one resource that I follow. So I'm gonna literally steal exactly the same things that they do. And I've been doing it for the last eight years of my career and people have been moving better, feeling better, losing weight. So not, let's not try to reinvent the wheel. Um, so what we're going to do is kind of have this first section. I really hope that's not nearly as big as I should have been writing, my bad. So first exercise, we're gonna label this as A1. Yeah, you can see it. <laughs> Um, what I'll do with every single person is a dead bug. And then I like to couple that with a half kneeling anti-rotation press. So the reasoning behind this little set we always start off with kind of like a core series and one it kind of almost preps your body for all the other stuff that's going to happen because we all know that if our core is not strong enough or isn't firing or activating then the rest of the exercises that we choose tend to suck so in this case, we are kind of priming the body. So after we've done the warm-up, and I maybe that could be another episode that I could get into. Um, after we do the warm-up, now this is kind of like our priming um, first set of just two exercises back-to-back. -back. And the reason why I always choose the dead bug is it's one of those vital exercises, especially a core exercise that teaches an individual how to stabilize the body while in a dynamic movement pattern. So it works primarily for rotary stability, anti-extension. If you look at human beings, we walk in an opposite hand and opposite leg kind of pattern and the dead bug tends to um, do the same kind of concept. And my wife just rolled over some more um, markers but does the black one work better oh i think the black is going to be so much better especially for you guys um so rotary spilly super 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 important and this also gives me the opportunity to teach someone how to utilize a diaphragmic breath and i find that so many people forget that um sequence and kind of foundational pattern because a lot of gym bros or people that are uh, fitness enthusiasts if you ask them how do you create um, tension in your body or how do you turn on your core or how do you create a bracing strategy when you deadlift or squat i never get a good answer and most of the time people just look at me like i'm speaking a different language so when i start off with every single person in a dead bug, I have an opportunity to teach that person how to diaphragmically breathe, how to brace properly, and be more in tune with their body. And that's probably the biggest struggle for anyone starting exercises. They have no idea how to control and move their body. And they almost become like this awkward being in the gym when they're trying to do a new exercise. So literally the dead bug kind of sets the tone 
for every bit of exercise that we're about to do and lays down like the true foundation because if you can't properly brace during a dead bug there's no chance in hell that you're going to be properly able to brace for something as advanced as a barbell deadlift and you're going to lead to a lot of injury so that's why i put in the dead bug which is so so crucial and it can be so many different variations so say i have a brand new person never been into a gym in their life never exercised and they're starting like negative zero like as like as low as possible um maybe their dead bug variation will just be breathing maybe it's the dead bug position with just the legs at 90 degrees while they're holding their um, torso and breathing into their hands. Maybe it's, you know, holding their hands out with the legs up in the uh, dead bug position and they're just dropping their heel one at a time because maybe extending with the full leg and full arm actually hurts the lower back and they just don't have the prerequisites to actually hold that threshold for intra-abdominal pressure. So, the dead bug is kind of, again, almost that scaling idea where it might be just breathing or it might be the full dead bug. So it really depends on the person. Um, from there, I like to couple that with something called a half kneeling anti-rotation press or pow-off press, whatever you want to say. The reason behind that, so this is a anti-rotation um, core exercise. And the reason why I like doing it in a half kneel and I've said this in blogs, I've said this in previous episodes, but anytime you're in a half kneel, you are teaching your body how to stabilize through its hip complex in conjunction with their so-called core. And if I can get an exercise where it kind of kills two birds with one stone, like why not? And a lot of times too, it's kind of a precursor to any kind of lunge movement. So when you're in a half kneel, it literally resembles you in a lunge position at the bottom. And many times when I get someone brand new, a body weight split squat or lunge can smoke them. So another way to increase their leg strength is being in that half kneel position and how to set up for this. And I have tutorials on my YouTube page. So look up anything half kneel tutorial. It will showcase why it's so important. But the cliff notes is when you drive that first leg, closer to your midline, now you're challenging your body to stabilize. Again, you're feeding information to your nervous system on how to stabilize, activate the core, create tension, bracing strategy, everything. So we're taking this whole core section here in um, our program to one, teach our body how it needs to stabilize for more dynamic movements that we're gonna cover later in this uh, workout. So now you can see that there's two different body positions you lying in a supine position and then you in an upright half kneeling position and again if you go into the kind of um the developmental stages of a baby to toddler walking like you're literally resetting your nervous system how to get into uh, a gait cycle when you're in a half kneel position but that's a whole nother episode that i could get into and i can talk a lot about so let's move on um Typically here, I will do, you know, two to, oh, this marker is kind of not the greatest. Two to three sets. Hopefully you can see that. That's like, just terrible. Don't worry about it. It says two to three uh, sets. Again, you can go 
eight to ten reps or so. My uh, dog Misty is kind of grumpy. I think I'm talking too loud. She's right in front of us. Um, so next section, this is what I consider to kind of like the meat and potatoes of the workout. Oh yeah, it looks a lot clearer. Um, I always teach people as a foundational pattern. I was about to put down binge for some reason. Hip hinge, not hip binge. Thinking about food, that's why. All right, so hip hinge and something called TRX rows. So in this section is usually the priority um, of the workout for me in my mind. And I'm gonna star this. Every single person, I need to teach them how to hip hinge, AKA how to deadlift. So the biggest thing, and this is so apparent in the clinic setting, is anytime I get a low back pain patient Every single person I've seen have yet to discover this, and maybe someone else in the industry who works in a clinic setting can prove me wrong, but every single low back patient has no idea how to push their hips back into a deadlift position. It just does not compute with how their body moves, and they tend to fall into that typical um, overly like flexion pattern. And you can do a small mini assessment. If you just ask someone to touch their toes with their knees locked out, you'll find very quickly if someone's always using their lumbar spine to reach down for things, when they just bend at their spine and they don't push their hips back, whereas a typical toe touch to pass that assessment, you'll see people push their hips back as they reach uh, down to their toes. And usually those are the people who have better body awareness and have maybe played a sport or whatever it is. Um, but that being said, all low back people who've had pain, they need to learn how to hip hinge. And even um, people that are athletic who go through like a low back flare up, it almost changes the whole kind of mechanism and sequence of how they're actually gonna reach down for something. So learning the hip hinge is so, so vital for so many other things moving up. So how I teach the hip hinge, um, I've been using a dowel quite a bit, and I'm not talking about the one where you have it on your low back, your shoulder blades and your head, and you're kind of doing that bowing thing. I actually get them at a deadlift position, but from the top down. And teaching them one, what we just learned in our first set when it comes to creating tension, um, holding on to the dowel, thinking of breaking it apart and engaging your core and sliding the um, dowel down to around your kneecap depth and then driving up through the glutes and squeezing. Now, doing that over and over and over again will kind of now create a new movement behavior and that's going to help a lot as we move down into um, other exercises because I want this person to eventually deadlift heavy and every single person that I take through this kind of foundational program within four months they are deadlifting at least with a trap bar or a barbell deadlift 
because we've worked this pattern so well that it's so solid that when I place them under load, their body understands what to do is to resist it. And again, our spines are designed to resist movement. So if I am prepping it up here with these core exercises to teach how my spine needs to stabilize, now when I go into my deadlift uh, position of any kind of variation, my body's like, all right, I already know what to do and I can challenge it. Going from there, I like to go into TRX rows or some sort of rowing variation. But I think the TRX row is one of those ones that teaches a lot to someone new to exercise, is learning how to stack their joints in proper positions, joint centration, grip strength, um, how to retract the scaps, neck stability, all those things are covered in this one exercise. And I really like coupling it back and forth. And now if you really think about it, this is how I kind of go into my creative process when I'm training somebody is that if I have someone brand new that's never learned how to hip hinge and I need to teach them and constantly reinforce it, I'm going to throw in other exercises that reinforces it. We already covered that this dead bug and half kneeling anti-rotation press is reinforcing the hip hinge indirectly because I'm teaching my person in front of me how to engage their core and stabilize their spine. And now with the T-Rex row, if you think about it, when you're doing a heavy deadlift, you need to be in a joint-centrated position, meaning your shoulders are packed, you're hiding your armpits and squeezing your lats. You are creating as much tension on your posterior chain as possible because you have a weight in front of you that needs to come off the floor. The TRX row does exactly that. If you think of digging your heels into the ground, you're activating your hamstrings, your glutes, you're driving your hips forward, you're squeezing the handles as hard as possible to ensure your glenohumeral joint is packed and sucked back. The TRX row is literally like a deadlift, if you really think about it. And now I'm just reinforcing it in a different pattern, right? This is where my creativity comes out when I want to ensure that people become like bulletproof, ironclad bodies, AKA selfish plug for my new book coming out this summer, hopefully. But again, it all depends on the person. Say that hip hinge looks perfect. I might within like a week or two load it to like a sumo deadlift, whatever it is, but that's how it is. Um, we're going to go into the next section and rep sets again, like two to three times. And I always give a gauge of like eight to 12 reps. And I'll explain that in a second. So we're gonna go into the next section. So the first exercise is a single arm dumbbell, if I can spell properly. Floor press. And then split squats. Rope face pull. Wow, I can't spell. All right, so in this section, it's a nice little strength set. And I'll explain um, why I chose these exercises. And I'm gonna bring this down a little bit so you can see at the bottom. 
That's not going down. Now it's going down. Perfect. Um, and I can't write straight, obviously, either. Um, the first one, if I know that this individual is someone that's sitting in their desk, taking them onto a bench where they probably don't have enough thoracic extension to lay down somewhat in a neutral position, it's gonna crank on their lumbar spine and guaranteed you probably have had a um, scenario where you've laid down on the bench and your, oh, hi, miss, what are, you, what are you doing? Where the low back just doesn't feel the greatest and sometimes you have to move your feet in different positions or maybe put your feet on the bench and now your, Misty, what, did you have something to say? <laughs> um, now your lumbar spine is not feeling the greatest. So I always go into a floor press. Um, the second thing is that, oh, and I forgot to write with glue bridge. Ugh, come on. The second reason, doing a floor press. Most people who are sitting Oh, hi. All right, so we're going to do it this way. Um, most people that are sitting in a desk all day, they probably don't have good shoulder mobility. So if I had someone with those rounded shoulders like I've been always talking about in my podcast, and now I place them on a bench where I have to take a dumbbell and come down, this shoulder is going to start popping forward, and a lot of people get anterior shoulder pain. So if I can prevent that from happening as much as possible while strengthening up all that musculature involved with any kind of shoulder and chest movement, then it's like, I'm thinking way ahead already. Um, so the nice thing with floor presses is that you physically have the floor stopping you from going beyond your controlled range of motion or any kind of positions that may um, make the shoulder be put in a more vulnerable, uh, vulnerable position. So now that I'm going just to 90, I now know that every single rep I'm controlled. I don't have to worry about any kind of aches or pains or twinges or flare-ups or whatever it is. So we have that going for us. Now the other thing that I added and wrote terribly is a glute bridge. So I want people to be in a um, glute bridge for an extended period of time to again, reinforce the deadlift position. Everyone's posterior uh, chain is so weak in the general population that a lot of times when it comes to glute bridges or any kind of like exercise that involves um, glutes, hamstrings or things like that, things don't fire the way they should and a lot of people, whoa, geez, miss, you scared me. Um, well, you can hear something outside, can't you? Um, a lot of people tend to feel things in their low back and hamstrings and glutes kind of get the worst of it. So that being said, if I can reinforce that posterior through uh, the hip hinge, the glute bridge, the TRX rows, I'm just throwing more fuel to the fire that's gonna make this per person successful and strong. So that's why I do a single arm dumbbell, dumbbell floor press with a glute bridge and this last section of the workout. The next thing that we're gonna do is split squats. And again, it can be body weight, dumbbell, goblet, whatever you wanna do. But again, split squats for a brand new person, I'm not adding a lunge in there just yet. 
They have not earned the right or prerequisite to add a locomotion there. Not yet. We want to build a good foundational base. So why not get the person really strong in a split squat position? And it leaves a little room for error because again, with a lunge, there's so many more variables to it. You're adding a little bit more balance to it. You're adding the variance of where the back foot is going to go. And a lot of times people don't even have the ankle mobility or the big toe um, mobility that's required to get into a lunge position. So you'll notice that a lot of people when they do lunges, like their foot almost, almost like caves in because they don't have enough toe extension and ankle dorsiflexion to get into that position. So it kind of goes all over the place. So if I can slow it down and really focus on that fundamental pattern of just a split squat, boom, I'm solid. Lastly, but not least, is a cable rope face pull. Now, I love face pulls. It works all those postural muscles that so many of us need because again, we're all here all freaking day. So if I can get people to retract back and work all those small little muscles over and over and over again, then that's where I'm gonna see a lot of success. And again, if you think about a barbell deadlift, a lot of people, when they try to get into those near maximal loads, what happens is that those postural muscles kind of collapse forward. So they almost look like they have a rounded uh, upper back. But if I can, again, from the get-go, start everyone off with um, exercise that reinforces that you know rhomboid, mid-trap, low-trap area to be strong, when we're gonna place ourselves under high loads, our body is prepped. It knows what's, uh, what it needs to be done to kind of get there. So that's why I have the rope face pull. And again, I'll have two to four sets in this section. And again, I do eight to 12 reps. And the reason why, you will read so many different um, programming books where they have like really specific um, rep ranges and things like that. But for the general population, I personally think it does not matter that if you are doing six reps, you're not just training for like brute strength and power compared to like eight to 12 reps where it's just purely hypertrophy or 12 to 15 reps is freaking endurance. When it comes to someone who's brand new to exercise or someone that's been training only for a couple of years, their training age is so young that their body's not gonna know the difference between, between those rep ranges. If you have someone who's been training for like 10 years consistently nonstop, hell yes, rep ranges like will matter. But in this case, when we're just working with the general population that wants to move, feel better, lose weight and gain a little bit of muscle, whatever rep range you fucking throw on the board or on your Excel spreadsheet or whatever app you're using, is still going to help the person reach their goals. So I like using eight to 12 because it's kind of in that in, in between. And I don't go into like six or less with someone new or even someone with um, that's been with me less than six months because people don't know how to load their body just yet. And they tend to use weights that are way too light and they don't get to those near maximal loads like I want them to. So an eight to 12 rep, here's how I kind of um, teach my client how to self-regulate volume. So say they're doing their single arm dumbbell floor press with the glute bridge and they have a 20 pound dumbbell. I tell them aim for eight, but say as you get to eight reps, it feels really easy. Then I tell them go up to 12. 
say they get to 12 and they're like, honestly, it was kind of still easy. I'm like, great, go to a 25 pound dumbbell and now aim for eight. Maybe eight was just gonna be perfect. Maybe jumping to a 25, you're like, fuck, that is heavy. There's no rule that says that you have to go to eight. You can do seven, you can do six, you can do four. Who fucking cares? And I know I just contradicted myself, but at that point where they're actually struggling, they're getting to that near maximal load, which is the whole point of me um, getting at earlier. But that's how I teach people how to self-regulate when it comes to um, choices of weight or um, even when it comes to like, say a day where they had no sleep, I tell them like, okay, go do two sets and just eight reps for everything uh, with the weights that you did last time and it'll still be a lot lower volume compared to uh, what they would usually do. But overall, like we have covered a lot of stuff here when it comes to creating a uh, program where um, everyone needs to kind of start with. And literally this is almost like exactly what I do with a brand new person that sees me. And I've been doing similarly this exact layout for the last six, seven years and people have been getting strong, they're moving better, feeling better and things like that. And then we progress them along these lines of exercise I've chosen. And I did not think this was gonna take this long. So I think I'm gonna do a part two of it because I did promise to show you how to scale it up for someone who is um, a little bit more advanced or say someone did this for four to six weeks and they're ready to progress. So, And we are going to pick off, well pick up off where we left off. Um, where I saved our program that I would literally give to um, any client that walks through the door and we kind of did a baseline on what I would give to someone who didn't really have any kind of major issues or any kind of um, major injuries or any kind of contradictions that they shouldn't be training. So today I'm gonna to show you how I'm gonna progress this individual and if we have time, I'll show you kind of the next foundational progressions that everyone should be doing and where maybe even like a lateralization might come into play, which is basically a progressed exercise, but maybe two exercises might be around the same difficulty and that would be called like a lateralization. Um, so let's kind of go over what we did last time. So we broke up into three different sets. And I know my ring light thing like looks like a fucking flying donut right now on the board, but um, writing up top, which is very hard to see, what we have is a dead bug and a half kneeling uh, anti-rotation press. And then the second set, we're going into a hip hinge with the TRX rows. And then the last set, we're going into a single arm dumbbell floor press with a glute bridge. And then we have split squats, and then we have the cable rope face pull. Now I'm gonna show you now, while writing over there, um, what we are going to progress this individual to. And the nice thing is that my ring light is not uh, on the side that we're gonna be, uh, oh, what am I doing? On the side that we're gonna be throwing in the exercises. and. Hopefully my board doesn't 
fall over and be super embarrassing. So how I'm gonna progress the dead bug, I wanna add some sort of like external load to it. So where I usually go to one piggyback off of the, um, what's it called, the pattern, I wanna add a little bit more tension to it, a little bit more stability to it, whatever word you wanna use. And simply what I'm gonna do is a band resisted dead bug. So how I do this, I will take a standard super band um, or assisted pull-up band, whatever you want to call it, um, and loop it around like a squat rack, uh, cable machine, pillar, whatever it is, and have the individual almost like in a pullover position where they're, one, getting a little bit of serratus uh, anterior acti activity, a little bit of core engagement, and constant tension to learn again. Once again, remember when we looked at all of these, they kind of paint the bigger picture of what we need to work on, and a lot of them repeat the same concept. So if I want this individual to learn how to deadlift properly, my dead bug is my first kind of line of defense of teaching them intra-abdominal pressure. Now I need to um, enhance that, kind of magnify it at a larger scale, because when we get into heavier loads, if I haven't taught the person how to create that tension that's going to help protect their spine, then I'm kind of fucked. So if I have a band-resisted dead bug where I have constant tension um, in it and I'm still kind of piggybacking off the um, previous exercise, so again, all of this would be done for four weeks, and maybe I'll write that up top here, four weeks. And that's how I kind of program is each phase is four weeks. That was a terrible line, by the way. Um, and I want to piggyback off those um, exercises that I've already started with. And in that case, it's just a small little change. So now I'm not teaching um, that person a brand new movement and kind of start from square one. In this case, it's like you already have the foundational movement. Now let's add a little bit more to it, a little bit more complexity to it, right? It's just like you learning your ABCs and now let's put you know three letters together to um, make a word. Um, so now moving on to the half kneel anti-rotation press, what I like to do in this situation is again stay in a half kneeling position and do a cable lift. So if you are familiar with um, Gray Cook and the FMS model um, the biggest thing that they kind of prescribe is chops and lifts. And a lift is simply getting into the half kneel position. Um, I can either just take the cable handle or the rope attachment and go from my hip chest to a 45. And now I'm still working my hip stability, core stability, but now going on more so a you know diagonal pattern where we're gonna slowly start transitioning to more rotational stuff which is going to come up later in our programming. So now I basically took the first two exercises, learned the foundational patterns of both of them, and now just added a little bit more to it, right? I've built the foundation on the patterns, and now let's challenge them. And same kind of rule applies. Let's do um, 
two to three sets, eight to 10 each. Like it doesn't have to be rocket science. And then we're gonna move into um, this next set. So if you, can, if you can't see it from home, we have the hip hinge and TRX rows. So what I like to do here is now get into a dumbbell sumo deadlift. And let me tell you why. So if I had somebody brand new to exercise, or a low back patient, or someone who has no idea what the difference between a squat and deadlift is, I am going to take the four weeks that we spent learning how to literally push your hips back and learn that I am not squatting, I'm gonna be hinging, I'm using my hips, to now loading that pattern. And the big thing too is like, you don't have to do it in the sumo stance. I just prefer to, because I find that people pick that um, hinge pattern a little bit easier than going into con uh, conventional deadlift where I just place the dumbbell between the feet and their toes are straight, their feet are like shoulder width apart, hip width apart, whatever it is, and they kind of almost fall into um, almost like a Romanian deadlift pattern. But I just find that the sumo stance makes it a lot easier for them to find that hinge. They feel it a little bit more. And most people that are training nowadays, especially now that we're sitting at home all day on Zoom calls, those hip flexors and just hip um, muscles in general um, are super, super, super tight. So getting into a traditional deadlift um, position is gonna kind of not get you the result you want. And I find a lot of people end up extending not through their hips when they come up through the deadlift, they kind of extend through their lumbar spine, which we don't want. Um, so that's why I kind of go with the sumo deadlift instead. Um, what I also do, depending on the person, it doesn't have to be from the floor. Um, if someone had some real uh, mobility restrictions, that's when we can um, you know, place like a yoga block underneath the um, dumbbell. And to kind of visualize a little bit more, I would have the dumbbell upright. And if you think of traditional dumbbells, you know, they're pretty lengthy this way. So now I don't traditionally need to um, always elevate the deadlift. And that's a whole nother episode I can get into if you should be deadlifting off the floor or not. Um, but in this case, the dumbbell sumo uh, deadlift tends to work really, really well. If you have a lot of mobility restrictions, that's when I would elevate it. And then with the TRX rows, I honestly keep it the same. And the reason behind that is usually when someone starts off, they're kind of at like a 45 degree angle and they're not going that low because they're still learning how to um, do the movement and kind of figure out how I'm supposed to pull my body um, up towards the handles and back down. So I do this another four weeks, but now what I tell them to do is like, I want you to do as many reps as possible. If you get to 12, you're not low enough. So then they kind of learn how to self-regulate um, that way. And what happens is they end up going to a point, like a depth where they're only getting like six to eight. And that's where I see most changes when they finally find that feeling of like, that's how it's supposed to feel when I'm working. And I feel like a lot of people don't ever get that right off the bat. They kind of just move through the motions and kind of stay where they feel comfortable. And it's kind of a way to introduce 
being uncomfortable in a training session because when I start in those first four weeks, you know, some people break a sweat, but they're not like huffing and puffing and dying or like pushing themselves because they don't know how to do that yet. And this is kind of an intro how to do that. And, you know, one of the safest ways is to do it by pulling your own body weight, at least in my opinion, like using a, an exercise like the TRX row. Um, and then depending on the person, because I look at this section kind of as like the meat and potatoes of your programming. These, this is a kind of like the most important um, section. So here I would actually do anywhere from like three to five rounds or five sets. And that was a terrible five. Um, again, always dependent on the person um, where they're at. Traditionally, like I haven't had a person who started their fifth week with me and they're doing five rounds. They're usually doing just three to four. Um, so now let's go into this next section, the single arm dumbbell floor, uh, floor press with glute bridge. Now, depending on the person, I like to keep this as is. So if I had to do this, I would do another four weeks of it. And let me tell you why. Usually with a brand new person, they haven't still figured out like what their weight is to be a challenging weight just yet. It's kind of like the TRX row. Now that they have the movement pattern, now they can challenge it a little bit more. Because with the single arm dumbbell floor press, when I get someone new, say it's a female, like they are kind of in the range of like using a 10 pound dumbbell to a 20 pound dumbbell. And if I have a dude, they're anywhere from like 30 to 40 pounds and they still haven't like reached that, like maybe 70 to 80% of what they can actually do. So I like to keep it as is, or say they are progressing nicely. Everything's falling in line. They're pushing uh, weight already. This is where I'll go into a single leg glute bridge to make it a little bit more challenging. But if not, it's fine to just keep it the same and just go up and wait a little bit more. Now from split squats, where I like to go to is reverse lunges. The reason why is now that we have a basic foundational pattern of the split squat and we know how to utilize the muscles involved in that um, lunge position. Now let's add locomotion, right? The reason why I never start reverse lunges off the bat is that most people don't know how to coordinate that movement without other stuff kind of influencing it. And um, I love to focus on the real basics getting really good at them and then adding a layer of um, instability like a reverse lunge because at one point you know you're on two feet and that one leg needs to go back to uh, lunge and he needs to stabilize on the toe come back down and then come back up without kind of falling all over the place and I can't remember if I said anything about how I would load it so again, with split squats, say it's a brand new person, never set foot in the gym, we could be just doing body weight. Um, if it's a person that can handle their own body weight, then I can give them two dumbbells by their uh, side. Um, or a goblet position, whatever they prefer. Same thing with the reverse lunges when I get there. Now the rope face pull. 
what I like to do here. I like to do some sort of single arm row. And let me tell you why. We are designed to press, pull, walk, run with one leg and one arm at a time. The moment that we start crawling, we're going opposite arm, opposite leg. If you look at research of you know, strengthening one limb over the other, there's that carryover effect. So I want to now influence that benefit of doing unilateral training because our bodies thrive off of that compared to using two at the same time. So with the rope face pull in the beginning, you know, I have higher payoff getting people, you know, learning how to activate those rhomboids, mid traps, low traps, whatever postural muscles there are compared to starting off with a single arm row where they're probably more dominant with like doing that pattern of shrugging and then rowing. Whereas with the rope face pull, they're literally thinking of setting those um, traps down while pulling. Now let's go challenge it to, with a, some sort of single arm row variation. So I can be a dumbbell row, a cable single arm row. And usually depending on the person, if I do a dumbbell row and I see a lot of this shrugging motion, and I can't correct it and say next week I can't correct it, that's where I would go back to um, say a half kneeling position with a cable row. I think that would work really, really well. And that's essentially how I would progress the first four weeks um, to another four week phase where we built a solid foundation and at this point, this is where I see a lot of people uh, progress very, very nicely. Now, let's just say um, if I was a person that's been training with me for a year and they've, you know, did everything, every single progression, how would this look if I had someone quite fit, um, their injury-free, no issues whatsoever, how would I program for someone a little bit more advanced? And I think that's what a lot of people want to see is how I could take this most basic uh, program and scale it. So the interesting thing is I can literally have, um, so I'm gonna erase all this, someone brand new, new to exercise, um, that's never set foot in the gym and then have someone that is, actually I'm just gonna erase that. Um, that is a little bit more advanced and they can follow the same template. And this is what I learned early on in my uh, career. And I'm gonna make this into say one year. So say someone's training with me for a year and I have an advanced program for them. Um, so say I have someone brand new and actually, sorry, when I was a coach, uh, when I first started, I learned this whole concept of progressions and regressions to a point where I could create a template of someone who is the most athletic person and basically dumb it down, not dumb it down, but regress it to a point where a brand new person can follow the same, uh, same template and still get the benefit out of it. So say this person that is advanced is going to follow the exact same template. So with the dead bug, what I would do is a cable 
pull over a dead bug. For those who don't know, imagine a cable machine behind me. I take the rope attachment, bring it in front. Every time I extend my leg into a dead bug, I go into a pullover. And then as I drive my knee, I drive the arms forward, which is a very challenging exercise. Now we get to the half kneeling anti-rotation press. This is where I would do a standing AR anti-rotation press with front raise. So now I go from a half kneeling position to a standing position because by that time I have the necessary prerequisites to get there and I'm adding a front raise. So if you think of a pal-off press and now I'm bringing it up, I have a lot more of this stuff activating in order for me not to collapse over. So I'm not only focusing on fighting rotation, as I'm getting up to here, I'm also fighting anti-lateral flexion, which makes it a two, like a two punch really, really quick to the face if you don't stabilize. So now I took a really simple concept and made it very difficult for someone to get challenged. Now, let's go into our next section where, how are we on time? We're good. Um, the hip hinge, nice and simple. Let's go barbell, deadlift, right? Very, very, very simple. T-Rex rows, let's go in eccentric, T-Rex inverted row. Sorry for all the abbreviations. So the barbell deadlift, I can do like say three to five reps. The eccentric TRX inverted row. Having your heels say on a 18 inch box um, or a bench and then having um, the tempo of the exercise where I'm pulling nice and quick up to the top and I'm slowly lowering myself for like four Mississippis all the way to full extension and then again drive up and again I would do as many reps as possible. Those two together are going to light people up pretty quickly and then this that's a whole nother thing that we didn't even uh, get into is that when I have a brand new person going through here we don't really rest because there's not enough stuff taxing enough to make you feel like oh shit I need to take a breather. It's very like, I'm gonna go back to back all the way through and finish the hour. Whereas by the time I get here, you're gonna wanna take at least 30 seconds between, and especially here if you're loading the deadlift enough and doing max uh, reps on the T-Rex inverted row, you're gonna wanna take at least two minutes. And that's where we're actually challenging our body. And that's kind of similar to that example I had earlier about you know my next phase taking the, just a typical T-Rex row and getting the person to do as many reps as possible to feel how it is to be working at a rate where you're actually uh, pushing yourself a little bit. So this whole phase is actually pushing that person to, you know, not failure, but near failure. Now, let's look at the single arm dumbbell floor press. A simple thing that I can do here is a single arm bench press, but, I 
terrible writing because it's too far off to the side, but um, I like getting into a single arm um, glute bridge dumbbell press. So imagine having the bench like traditionally behind you and lying on your back, but having only your shoulders on top. So if, similar to if you were doing a hip thrust, but you're on the edge of the bench where just your head is and you're driving your hips up and uh, back down like a hip, uh, hip thrust, but you're gonna stay up there the entire time and then doing a dumbbell single arm press where you have to fight your body uh, weight and the weight of the dumbbell falling off to the side. So you're challenging not only your glutes, but your whole freaking system. And that is a very challenging exercise. Split squats. Easy one to throw in to kill anybody is a rear foot elevated split squat. For those who don't know, Bulgarian split squats are traditionally known as it, but a rear foot elevated split squat Again, not a complicated exercise like you being on a fucking BOSU ball and like lights being turned off and on while someone throws firecrackers at you. Um, but you can load it quite easily to make it challenging. Now, the rope face pull. This is where I would maybe do a cable side plank. Row. Sorry for the terrible writing, but side plank, cable machine in front doing a single arm row. So I'm getting that uh, rowing pattern. I'm also throwing an extra exercise in there as a side plank to have a more well-rounded uh, workout that targets the full body and hits every single thing that we need to progress and challenge as we get stronger. So I literally took the most simplest program and followed the same template for someone who's advanced. These two people would not know that doing that uh, workout at the same time. But in my head and in my mind, I'm like, they're doing the same program, right? And this is the beauty of programming for people and makes it so much easier for any new coach out there um, trying to create programs for their clients and rather than sitting there like, okay, I need to come up with something new. I need to think of this, this, and this rather than having just a template and just copying it. And then, okay, my person can't press overhead. I'm going to take this out instead. My person has a bad, big right toe. I'm going to take out split squats and give them rear foot LA split squats because it's going to be flat on a bench, you, like things like that. It's very plug and play and it saves you quite a bit of um, headache down the road. And this is where, you know, I find that people see the best results. And like I said in my first video, I stole my programming from Results Fitness on, as because they are one of the best gyms in the world when it comes to training general population. And I followed this for like the last eight years of my career. I've not seen anyone get injured. I've not seen anyone, you know, say like the program was too easy. I have not heard any kind of complaints. People are just like, wow, like it looks really simple on paper. And like, literally, if you look at it, this is like, you're like, oh, this doesn't look hard. But when you put into practice, knowing what the person um, needs, then they're gonna feel it in the hour, right? So again, if you're watching this at home, 
and you do this program, maybe it's not going to feel um, challenging to you. But if I took you through an assessment and then had to take this template, um, I could easily, um, you know, change it a little bit to make it more specific to you. This is just a general example. Um, you know, I know a couple questions I'm going to get really soon is, why do you do two exercises here, two here, and three here? Why can't you do it any different? You can. You can do one exercise in the beginning if you want, and then rest and then do it again. You can do fucking five exercises in the second section and just do two at the end. It doesn't matter, right? But I categorized this in the beginning to make it simple. You know, sometimes with my more experienced clients, I will do three exercises of three sets but maybe do some sort of conditioning where the three exercises at top are, you know, uh, a goblet squat, a TRX row, and push-ups, and they do three reps of each one for five minutes straight and see how many rounds you can get in, rest for three minutes, repeat it one more time, and then move on to the next one, right? There, there's so many different ways of how to program, and um, there's no, like, right or wrong, but what I will say is the moment you learn the rules of programming and there's so many good books out there and resources online of like where programming started, how it benefits and it literally there's so much research on it, follow that path first and then that's when you can start breaking rules of anything else that you've learned. But um, that's essentially how I do it. That's where I see the most success. I see people, you know, having more days in the gym, less, you know, days where they're just like, oh, I need to take a few days off because I've been really, really sore or my leg hurts or some weird stuff like that. But um, hopefully that was helpful. Um, so had a couple questions um, over Instagram about my last couple episodes going into like programming for fat loss. And um, people wanted to see like how would I create like an actual program? So in my last two videos, I kind of went over how, you know, what exercises I would do for um, someone that was brand new and then how I would eventually progress it. And then somebody was asking like, how would that actually look like if I had like, you know, this month workout A, B and C and how I would structure everything. So. I'm literally gonna lay out like a one month worth of programming here if someone was training three days a week. And I will showcase um, what exercises are put where, why I emphasize X, Y, and Z, and things like that. Um, and feel free to literally use this in your uh, workouts and, you know, steal it and see how you feel. So, I'm gonna create um, somewhat of a, like an intermediate um, program here. And this would be for someone who has no pain, no issues whatsoever with overhead mobility or stuff like that. To say this person is ready to go. And regardless, maybe they've had some injuries in the past and they're just trying to, you know, bulletproof their body, become more of an ironclad body, aka my new book is going to be coming out pretty soon. Um, 
So we're gonna get started. And similar to my other videos, we're gonna start with two exercises at the top being our core section to get things ready. So over at workout A, we are going to do two exercises. So we are gonna do a band resisted dead bug. If any of these exercises you have no idea what they are, literally go into my YouTube channel and you can just search it and you'll have it along with a tutorial. So boom, you're ready. Um, number two, what we're going to do here is a simple front plank. So with the front plank, we're going to go either 30 to 45 seconds. And the dead bug, I'm gonna go eight each side. And we're gonna do this three times. And what we're gonna do is rather than going through all workout A, I'm gonna do workout B and C, the first section, to make sure one, this is where a lot of people get their training um, terrible, is they don't um, look at, am I overloading a certain movement pathway or plane of motion? Am I overloading my legs in a certain way and we're going to look at that how to create a balanced program so you don't overdo like your chest or your glutes or things like that because that can throw into some sort of imbalances or asymmetries i don't like using that word but you'll have something more developed than something else and that'll lead to issues down the road so um, which I'm going to kind of go on a tangent a little bit, a little sidetracked here. Um, I had a person come in to the clinic and this individual was constantly getting like lateral hip pain anytime they did uh, lunges, step ups, things like that. And um, I was trying to figure out like, okay, why? Like, you know, obviously it's inflamed, some sort of tendinopathy, but like, what are they doing in their program? And this person's a fit individual, like, really really fit and I was like tell me more about your programming and this individual will primarily focus on legs and would do a glute specific uh, workout three days a week and on the other days where they would focus on more upper body stuff they would still do some like glute stuff like your traditional like what you see on Instagram glute stuff uh, to overload it and I was like would it be possible to do what most guys do in the gym where they constantly do say bench press or chest exercises where you know their pec minor just gets so tight that they start rounding the shoulders forward and they're kind of imbalanced right and they don't have enough uh, back exercises to combat the amount of pressing i'm like can you do the same thing with um glute exercises so i was thinking okay well maybe if you know, glute max, glute meat is being overworked. What is being kind of neglected? And I was just thinking, probably your adductors, they serve a purpose not only to, you know, bring your leg across the midline, but also stabilizing your hip. And if you're overloading your lateral um, glute muscles and your hip extenders, I'm pretty sure your adductors are probably not getting enough love. So I took this individual into a 90-90 position like I do in my kin stretch classes and told her to do a simple um, 
what's it called, um, a liftoff for external rotation. And if you don't know what this is, again, hit my YouTube page and search it up. Um, but essentially it activates your adductors along with some hip flexion and could barely do it. Like it was, it was a struggle. So I'm like, okay, here we go. Here's that imbalance that I was talking about before. And when we got this patient to focus on more adductor specific work, that lateral hip pain kind of went away. So, you know, this can happen anywhere. If you're loading one area of your body more and more and more and more, eventually it can get into overuse. It can serve um, a different purpose eventually and just cause more um, harm than good. So it's really, really important that when you are following a program or, you know, you start exercising, you're doing classes, whatever it is, and you're really consistent is to see if you are overworking something because most classes they're like i'm gonna hit the legs hard and your core hard and kind of forget everything about everything else and then you're kind of left with overuse injuries but let's go back over here to workout b so we are on a1 and a2 here is where i'm going to put in a bird dog cable row and then here, just a simple side plank. Can't properly spell plank for some reason. 30 seconds. And let's do this eight each side three times. All right, so now we can start talking about how I'm changing stuff up and making a thoughtful purposeful program. So here we have a dead bug. We are in a, well, a band resistant dead bug, in a supine position, working a rotary stability, you know, opposite arm, opposite leg pattern. Now, if I had workout B, it would be kind of defeating the purpose to do another like dead bug-like exercise or any kind of like supine ab exercise uh, that you can think of. So it's like, why not do, um, Kind of a complement to it so a bird dog which is literally an upside down dead bug but focusing a little bit more shoulder stability and low back stability and then challenging it a little bit more with a single arm cable row adds a little bit more of a dynamic but now i'm kind of complementing these two movement patterns that are very similar but just now in a prone position compared to a supine position you know, over here we have a front plank where we're fighting um, anti-extension. And then we have a side plank here to fight lateral uh, flexion. And, you know, now these two are complementing quite nicely. Now, this is where I really like programming because now that I have three days, it's like, okay, sweet. I can now really work on really specific things for the person. And usually what I'll do here is I'll do a half kneel anti-rotation press. Again, check my YouTube page for all these things if you're gonna follow this program. And then here is where I would love to do some sort of um, tall kneeling. Um, kettlebell, halo. So we now have, you know, let's do three sets and eight to 10, oops, eight to 10. 
each. So we have our core section in all three workouts. So the reason why I am doing a um, half kneeling anti-rotation press, we have some anti-rotation for our core, hip stability, and the halo is one where we're working a little bit of shoulder stability too, which a lot of people need, and in a tall kneeling position. So, you know, half kneel, tall kneel positions, super, super, super vital when it comes to developing um, better posture, um, better body awareness, and better stability through that hip junction. So why not kind of double down on both half kneel and tall kneel on the same day, right? Um, so now we have this beautifully orchestrated core section across the board on each day that's going to literally hit everything we need. Now, if I had to, here is like, this is something like, it would be like a specific thing for somebody. And um, you can throw in other things, like we haven't hit um, hip flexion, so you can do like a mountain climber here, feet in the TRX, doing like atomic crunches, whatever it is. But, you know, this is where it's like, okay, I have this person and I wanna like just put as much in as possible and this is all I can do. But we can double up on some sort of core movements later on if needed. But we're gonna come over here into our next section. And remember this next section is what I call kind of like the meat and potatoes where I want like the most important um, things to kind of come after. And what we're gonna do is a double kettlebell, single leg, deadlift. And we're gonna do six on each side at a heavy, heavy weight. Then from there, what we're going to do is just a simple, simple, simple um, single arm cable row. Just standing, nothing too crazy. And we'll do eight to 10 each side. And this is where I like to go like anywhere from three to five sets. So before I kind of go into why I'm doing this, we're gonna go into our next two. And for workout B, what we're gonna do is a uh, dumbbell front squat. And again, we're gonna go six reps to make it heavy. And then here, we're gonna go TRX inverted row. We're gonna do MRAP. As many reps as possible. Again, three to five rounds. And then way over here. What we're gonna add in, oops. Goblet. Landmine. Reverse lunge. And then here, chin ups. And again, three to five times. Here we're gonna do six, here, oops, and wrap. 
Sorry for all the writing. Okay, let's now go over why I chose all these exercises. So, the single leg deadlift. Again, you know that I love single leg deadlifts, but hip dominant exercise in a unilateral stance. Dumbbell front squat. So we're gonna have two dumbbells up top here. Um, knee dominant bilateral exercise. And then um, goblet landmine reverse lunge. Um, actually, sorry, I didn't want this to be, I have mine, okay, here, not a goblet, because we already loaded that pattern. See, this is, this is, this is why you gotta look at this kind of stuff. Um, just an offset. Offset, landmine, reverse lunge. So now we have a, again, um, sorry, I'm blanking, um, a, unilateral um, knee dominant exercise, not knee dominant, hip dominant exercise, because I consider reverse lunge a hip dominant because you're kind of driving your hips back. So for, in my experience for general population, um, posteriorly we are terribly weak and we need to double down on that compared to working exercises that work our quads kind of like the front squat. But I put that in there to still, you know, take the time to develop that pattern rather than doing, I'm just gonna be doing deadlift-like exercises. But look at the different loading patterns too. This is where um, my kind of like creativity comes in. So I have a double kettlebell single leg deadlift. So that's two dumbbells on the side. I have now a front squat where I have two dumbbells up front. And now I have an offset load with a landmine where I'm holding the barbell at the bottom and then reverse lunging to the same side. So I have different loading patterns now for my leg exercises up top, which again, people don't pay attention to. So imagine, you know, average person is like, I'm going to barbell deadlift, barbell deadlift, barbell deadlift on each day or barbell deadlift, bench press and back squat. It's like, okay, yes, the bars are in different places for different exercises, but you're still not challenging, say, like a single arm press for instead of your bench press, a single leg deadlift with, you know, one giant dumbbell or something like that. Like the loading patterns need to change in order for your body not to kind of fall in the same pathways over and over and over again. Um, so those loading patterns are why I chose them. Um, so over here, as you can see, there's quite a bit of um, pulling. Again, going back to my whole posterior thing, people need more posterior strength. So I have a single arm cable row, a TRX inverted row, and chin-ups. Again, think about loading patterns. So I have a um, unilateral horizontal row. I have a uh, bilateral horizontal row, and now I have a um, bilateral vertical row. So I'm hitting all different ways of pulling exercises to, again, not overload one. Like, I could easily just like, oh, I'm just gonna go chin-ups, close grip pull-down, lap pull-down. It's literally the same across the board, and I'm going to overload that pattern and those muscle fibers, why not? change things up, right? And not overload something, overuse things like that. 
and again, three to five rounds, depending on what week I am. And my, if I'm at week four and I'm trying to like go for it, I'm hitting five sets. In the beginning, I can even do two to three here. So now let's move on to the next section here. So we're gonna go at four exercise set. So we're going to do a half kneel, single arm, shoulder press. And you know, I'm gonna go across the board so you see what I'm gonna do here. I'm gonna do a single arm. Dumbbell, bench press, just as you thought that I was not a fan of pressing, I'm still throwing that in there. We have a half kneeling, single arm shoulder press. So I have a unilateral uh, vertical press, single arm dumbbell bench press. Now I have a unilateral uh, horizontal press. And now C, uh, oh, not C2, this should be C1. And then my last day here, I have a two-handed landmine press, which you could probably classify as a bilateral vertical press, even though it's at a 45 degree angle, like we're aiming for overhead. But again, look at the pattern. All presses, but all different movement pathways, planes of motion, and things like that, to not overload one of the other. And this is where stuff like this helps a lot when it comes from injury prevention. So now let's get into the next bit. Here, we're gonna go, kettlebell bat wings. Again, if you don't know what kettlebell bat wings are, check my YouTube channel. Oops, half kneel, single arm, close grip, pull down, and cable, rope, base pull. All right, let's look at this again. Kettlebell bat wings, a um, bilateral I would call it horizontal row, again, 45 degree angle on the bench. A half kneeling, single arm, close grip pull downs. So for that one, think of, um, you know, cable machine at the very, very top. You're in a half kneeling position and pulling into a close position. And then cable rope face pull. Again, all pulling exercises, all different planes of motion, all different moving pathways to, again, not overload the other. So I could have easily been like, I'm doing a dumbbell row here. I'm going to do a single arm row like I did earlier and I want to do like a two-handed row like it's there's not a lot of 
um, thought process behind that. So now let's get into our third exercise. So here, what I'm gonna do is walking lunges, dumbbells, kettlebells, whatever. Dumbbell lateral lunges. Stability ball, hand curls. All right, again, all leg exercises, all different, all working, all um, things that most people miss. So walking lunges, we have a knee dominant exercise, that's single leg. We have dumbbell lateral lunges. Again, think about if you are watching this, listening to this, when was the last time you did a lateral lunge or anything lateral for your legs. It's probably been a while. You've probably been doing the squats, deadlifts, and like reverse lunges. And then stability ball hamstring curls. Again, um, posterior work needs to be done. And something like that will cover those bases that we need. So again, you see this pattern, like I'm constantly working every single movement pathway I can think of. And when I write all this down, I'm constantly like, okay, have I hit everything that I need to? And this is why I love writing programs for three days a week, because I can usually cover all my bases if needed. Um, so last thing here, usually the last one, again, like I covered a lot. Sometimes this is this like extra stuff that the person needs, right? So on why am i skipping numbers here right, this is number three so here i'm gonna put in band pull-aparts here i'm going to put in i already know what i want to put in here i'm skipping So, band pull-aparts, kettlebell armbar, stability ball saw. When I have usually four exercises in a set, that fourth exercise, I'm constantly thinking of like, okay, what does this individual need before, like after, okay, we're working on core stability, we're working on better upper body strength and stuff like that, like more specific stuff to the person. So if we know that most people, um, need more posterior work, band pull parts, great postural exercise, kettlebell armbar, everybody needs um, some shoulder stability. And say this person was one of those people that um, has weak shoulders and had shoulder issues in the past, kettlebell armbar falls perfectly. Stability ball saw. Um, one reason why I put that in there is I already have the stability ball in there and it's just going to be an easy transition to make the person move a little faster, just going back and forth. 
but also with this one what i'm looking at too is you know most people again general population when you ask them okay what do you want to work on your program my abs and really what they're saying is like i want to lose fat around my belly so sometimes when it comes to like buy-in as a trainer to work with someone you need to kind of give exercises that's going to make them feel like they're like getting a program that's designed for their one thing that they really want which is abs or a, a smaller stomach so creating a exercise combo where something like the saw where you're fighting anti-extension and when you get to those end ranges like you're really going to feel your abs go you're going to be like that's what they're going to remember you know like usually the last bit of exercise are the ones that are going to tire people out and if i put the saw at the very end that's what they're going to remember like holy shit that workout was really hard you killed my abs but when you really look at it there's not really any hardcore specific ab exercises other than that right so it comes to like buy-in so as a coach i kind of learned that over the years that you know last exercise can be like somewhat of a filler exercise but stuff that the person really really needs but um, overall like we have this beautifully orchestrated program like this is like be like go take a freaking like screenshot and like start doing this in the gym like you have four weeks laid out for you and you know if you're an average intermediate gym goer this is going to work beautifully um if some are not feeling great don't try to force yourself doing this but this is how my creative mind goes when i'm trying to create a program and i've been programming like this like i said in my other two episodes for a very long time and I have never had any client injure themselves while training, you know, pull something while they're training or anything like that or were too sore or anything. Um, so I kind of pride myself that my programming that I've learned over the years from so many other great coaches in the industry is kind of like, I wouldn't say the holy grail, but kind of like, you know, the secret to finally seeing success in the gym, in life, in whatever you know goal you may have so